I wonder if you've ever said to yourself, if I just didn't have to deal with this problem in my life, I think I could live a victorious Christian life. If I just didn't have to deal with this person, or maybe this circumstance, then I would be a better Christian. Well, I think we've all felt that way. Maybe we've all said that, at least in our own minds. If I just didn't have to deal with this, you know, then I would be living, uh, I would be much more confident. I would be much more satisfied with the way God is working in my life. Or maybe sometimes we think if I could just have a certain experience with God. You know, if, if I could just look up one day when I go outside for work and the heavens would just open up and God would give me a thumbs up or something like that, and I would know that I'm on the right path, some kind of spiritual sign, then I'd never doubt, then I'd never be weak. And I could really live that victorious Christian life. Well, today in our sermon, Paul is continuing to give the Corinthian church his resume. He's explaining to them and and, and telling them in a way that feels awkward to him to have to kind of uh, tout his qualifications. He's, He's trying to explain to them Uh, why they should listen to him and it feels awkward for him to do this and so as he's doing this he keeps reminding them he's not showing them this to brag about how strong he is but he's actually trying to show them how weak he is and how strong Christ is in his life and so the aim of our passage this morning is to show us that God will carry us As we depend upon His grace, God will carry you if you will daily depend upon His grace. This faith that we share, this faith that we're living out together, is not a faith that is built on mountaintop experiences, but it is built on daily dependence upon His grace as that grace is expressed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you look there at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, the apostle says, I must go on boasting. Remember, he's been talking about all of the suffering, all of his service, his Jewish pedigree. And now he says, and I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. And so in this passage, we will see Paul talk about a vision and revelation that he received from the Lord in verses 2 through 4. Then we will see Paul uh, discussing his refrain in verses 5 through 6, his restraint in talking about this. And then finally in verses 7 through 10, we will see Paul discussing a thorn in his flesh. And so we've all probably been very familiar our whole lives with what these verses are. We all understand Paul was the one who, as he wrote this 14 years earlier, had been raptured up into heaven in some way. So we're all familiar with Paul's trip to heaven. And then aren't we all familiar with Paul's thorn in the flesh? We've heard these verses. And Jan came in yesterday. I was working on uh, typing out my manuscript. And Jan came in and I said, well, I'm, I'm working on this sermon. And the challenge has been in my mind, you know, what d- determining the aim of this passage. What does this mean? 
And really in my mind, I've always understood Paul went to heaven in some way. And I've always understood there was this thorn in the flesh. How do the two fit together? Why does he talk about the vision and revelation and then talk about the thorn in the flesh? Let's look at that as we understand that what Paul's trying to teach us is that God carries us, even in our weakness, if we will daily depend upon His grace, in our weakness, if we'll depend upon His strength, that's how God's going to carry us. And not through just amazing mountaintop experiences, even the idea of being caught up into heaven. So Paul talks about his vision and revelation here in verses 2-4. through four. Let's read it, read it, follow along as I read. Paul says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Now, this man that Paul is speaking of is himself. We're going to figure that out in verse 7. But he says, I know a man. He's talking about himself. He's trying to be humble about this. I know a man who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I wrote in my, my text here, this is a good place for an aside. <laughs> but sometimes we have to let the hidden stuff be hidden. Do you understand everything there is to know about the Christian faith? I hope, I hope you don't think that you do because there's a lot of it that's not been fully revealed to us. There's a lot of it that, that is still a secret. Some of the stuff is hidden and the hidden things belong to God. Isn't it refreshing to look at these verses and see Paul twice say, I don't know. Sometimes we just have to, we encounter something and, we, and someone says, well, why did this happen? Why is it happening this way? Why is God doing this? Why does God do it this way? And sometimes the only answer we can muster is, I don't know, that hasn't been revealed to me yet. And Paul says here, I don't understand about this vision. I don't know if I was in the body, if this was a, a, more like a dream, or if my body was actually there in paradise. I don't know. But God knows, and that's good enough for Paul when he knows that God knows. And he says there in verse 4 that when he was caught up into that third heaven, into paradise, he says he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Well, when did Paul have this vision? Well, we don't really know because there's disagreement over when the book of 2 Corinthians was written. It could have been when he was in Damascus. It could have been when he was in Antioch. It could have been during one of these experiences when he was near death. As he mentioned, they were shipwrecked. He was stoned. Uh, he'd been given lashes. He'd been beaten with rods. Perhaps it was during one of these times. We just, again, don't know. And it's not something that he discusses anywhere else in the New Testament. Apparently, Paul did not think it would be particularly helpful to people to know that he had had this vision and this revelation. Uh, and, and of course, why is it not really helpful for, for anyone to say that, that they've had a particular vision or revelation? You could come to me and say, God told me this, God told me this, and I'm having to, to depend upon you and some revelation that you have. Well, I'm just going to tell you right now, you can come and tell me God said this to me, and, if it's, and then if the next thing you say is not a Bible verse, I'm probably not going to put a lot of stock in it. Because I believe what God has given me in His Word is sufficient, so I don't need God to give you words for me. 
because he's already given me the words that he wants for me to have, which are inerrant, infallible, and perfectly sufficient for me. Now, God may encourage you. God may enlighten you. God may bring something to your mind that will remind us of a truth in his word. That's wonderful. But if someone comes to me and says, well, God told me you need to do this, I'm going to say, well, show me the chapter and verse, and then let's obey. But uh, that's the thing about personal visions and personal revelations. Uh, They really can't be proven, can they? And there are things about this vision and revelation that Paul seems to not quite understand himself, and he was not permitted by God to discuss it. Was he in the body or out of the body? He doesn't know. But his understanding was that in some way he was raptured up to paradise or what we might call the third heaven. Now what is this third heaven? Well, the way that they understood cosmology at that time was the first heaven, and I'll just say this in a real simple way, the first heaven we could say is the sky. The first heaven is the home of the clouds. The second heaven is the home of the stars. And the third heaven is the home of God. That's the way they would have understood that. He was in paradise. He was where God was. And while he was there in paradise, whether in the body or outside the body, he knew he was there. He heard things that were unspeakable. Not because he didn't understand what he was hearing, but it was some kind of experience that was for his edification alone. It was not for other people because God forbade him to discuss what he had learned in heaven. So why is he talking about it? Well, just as he had talked about being Jewish... Just as he had talked about his sufferings and his service for Christ, he felt like he needed to mention these experiences he was having because apparently those false teachers who had come into Corinth were bragging about their visions and their revelations that they had had. That these super apostles were saying, well, we're better than Paul. We've had better experiences than Paul. And Paul's saying, no, I've had those experiences too. In fact, I've been caught up into the third heaven myself. And I'll say this, uh, you know, I think a lot about this. Um, What should we make of spiritual experiences? And I think that Christianity is something that we should experience. If you've not experienced what it means to know Christ, I hope that you will. The Puritans weren't perfect. But we can learn about this from the Puritans. They had a sense that faith was much more than just an outward profession. You know, the Puritans were in the Church of England. They were trying to purify the Church of England. And what would you do when you went to church in the Church of England? Remember how the Church of England started? It was a Catholic church. Then Henry VIII wanted to get divorced, and the archbishop wouldn't let him do that, and so he decided to start his own church. So you had a very, it's a very similar type church experience to what they were when they were uh, in the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, I have Roman Catholic friends that love the Lord, uh, that are very serious about their faith. Uh, And so I'm not trying to denigrate that, but what the Puritans saw at that time during their experience with the Anglican Church uh, was very much a ritual. And so you would go in, you would say certain words, You would do certain things, you would stand up, kneel, you would pray this, you would pray that, and they felt like it had become very much just an outward thing. You went to church and just kind of did your thing, but what was happening on the insides? And a lot of the Puritan writings are focusing on what's happening there in that invisible part of you as you relate to God. It's not just saying, I I believe in God. 
It's not just a formal knowledge of God. Christianity is not just accepting facts. But Christianity is a relationship between an individual human person with the person of God. So, you know, we've, we've asked this question our whole lives. Do you have a personal relationship with God? And what do we, what do we mean by that? We mean, do you have a relationship with God the same way you have a relationship with other people? Let me explain with an illustration. Um, I have some kind of a relationship with Joe Biden, and so do you. Joe Biden is your president. You believe Joe Biden exists. You know facts about him. You watch him fall down the stairs on Air Force One. You're affected by him, by his policies, by his administration. Joe Biden represents you. When he goes to another country, he's there standing there in the place of America. When he makes certain decisions, he's representing you. You might not have voted for him, but you still have a relationship with Joe Biden because he's your president. But do you have a personal relationship with Joe Biden? How many of y'all really know Joe Biden as a friend? I didn't think anybody in here did. I don't, I've never met him. He's from Delaware. I'm from Texas. I've never talked with him. He doesn't know that I'm alive. And so that's how our relationship is, right? Is my relationship with Joe Biden different than my relationship with my son Sawyer? Absolutely. Okay? I do have a personal relationship with Sawyer. Um, we relate to one another on, another on another level than I do with someone that I've never met. We know each other. We talk to each other. We watch TV together. We talk about the shows that we like. I know what he enjoys. He knows what I enjoy. And this kind of personal relationship is what we mean when we say, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Does he know you? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything in prayer to this person that I have a personal relationship with who is Jesus. Is that the kind of relationship that you have with God? Have you experienced because see, I've never experienced knowing Joe Biden. But I've experienced knowing Sawyer. See, this, that's, that's an experience. It's not just me saying, oh, I know Sawyer exists. Seems like a good guy. I know him, and he knows me. We spend time together. We talk with one another. We care about one another. That's the kind of relationship that God intends for us to have with him. A personal relationship. I don't know what we think that means when we say that, but I, I wanted to make the point there, that we relate person to person with God. It's, it's more than just knowledge. It's an experiential type of knowledge. And we should have that kind of experience as we follow Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, come follow me. Come walk where I walk. Come go where I go. And I think, what, how wonderful would that have been to sit around a campfire with Jesus? How wonderful would that have been to follow Jesus, just walking through a field, listening to him talk? To know Jesus in that way. Well, I know Jesus is in heaven, and I'm here. There is definitely a separation there, but he sent us another. He sent us the counselor. He sent us the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, we can follow Jesus in the same way the disciples did. We can have that same kind of dynamic relationship with our Savior Jesus Christ as Peter, James, and John, and the rest had. Do you have that kind of relationship with Jesus? 
You can have an experience following Jesus that will show you and show everyone else that you've been changed. That what you care about is different. And when you notice that change in your life where you used to desire these things, but since you met Jesus and you have a personal relationship with Jesus because you've experienced what it means to follow Christ, you care about these things now. Do you have that relationship? Do you have that kind of experience? Is that the kind of experience you want to have with Jesus Christ? And I know when you come here, I don't, I mean, we, it's interesting when you, we do a survey of where everybody grew up. Some people, you know, every, if you go around, people grew up in lots of different churches, in lots of different denominations. And I know perhaps if you grew up in a more charismatic church, um, you know, perhaps the way we do our services and the way I preach or whatever might seem very restrained to you compared to where you grew up. And for other people, you would say, I can't believe they have drums up there. I can't believe they play guitars that loud. You know, it's, 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 everything's on, on a spectrum, of course. And why do we do the things we do here at this church? Well, some of it's tradition. And some of it is really just based in our understanding of Scripture. And some of what we do here is just based upon me and the other people who lead on the platform just to be honest about it. So I would say since I lead this outfit, um, and I'll be honest, I don't, what I'm looking for week in and week out is not some kind of getting caught up into heaven necessarily. <laughs> that would be great. But that's not necessarily what I'm looking for. Some kind of mountaintop experience. I don't just want to go along and then every, every once in a while have a mountaintop, 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 mountaintop experience. Like we might have at a worship service that's different or at a, at a camp or a conference. And that's because I'm 48 years old. I've been alive nearly half a century and I've grown up in the church my whole life. I've been going to church my whole life, nearly 50 years. And I feel like I grew up taking the most manipulative psychologically invasive tactics that were shallow and morality-based that the American Evangelical Church had throw at me. And I'm not kidding. Back at the, when I was growing up and I was a teenager, if you, if you cried, if you raised your hands, if you made just tremendous gestures of sacrifice, I remember the thing that we were all w most impressed with when I was in high school at a church camp, they put a cross up at the very front, a, a wooden cross, and they said, here, take these pieces of paper, and you write your sins down. You write the things you need. Gunner's like, I remember this. Yeah, we did it at all the camps. Uh, they had the cross up here, and, you would, and they had nails. And we would nail our sins and the things that we were going to give up to the cross. We show up one morning for our morning worship time, and this uh, guy in our youth group had nailed a Fender Stratocaster, American-made, to the cross. And it hurt my heart when I saw that. He just nailed right through the bridge. I thought, you could take that neck off there. Probably repair that guitar. Uh, and of course, then he had to go out and buy a new guitar. But like that kind of thing, like that over-the-top gesture that takes place in just a moment was seen to be, you know, the pinnacle of our expression of our faith to God. People talking about things that God had told them and, and other sorts of religious exercises were, were signs of like extreme commitment and spirituality. But the reality was 
people would do things for 30 minutes and then they would walk out of the building or walk out of the camp or walk out of the conference unchanged. And so how many years do you have to see this happening to realize this is probably not what Jesus had in mind? I remember going to church with one of my friends that invited me several times to come to revival. I showed up and I mean, you know, I come from pretty, it was a pretty traditional Baptist church. It was a big church. But I'm telling you, I got into this church and the music was hot. I mean, they had a horn section that was fantastic and then they were running around and knocking each other over. It was a big spectacle, all right? Never been in a situation or a church like that. And some of y'all have heard the whole story and I won't go into the whole story here, but uh, I can tell you about it later. But I just remember it was just wild in there for one hour and then everybody just walked out went back to work like everything was normal. And my, my thought was, if we're really having this kind of experience with God, how can we ever go back to anything that seems normal? Okay? And what I realized was, you can get hyped up on emotion. You can go to a Foreigner concert or a, a Billie Eilish concert or whatever you like, and, you know, people are going to get emotional because the music can make people emotional. And you can go to hear a speaker who's not even a Christian speaker, and he can get up and motivate you to get more people in your pyramid, right? In your downstream. People can get people worked up. The right kind of person can do that. I don't think that's the kind of experience with God that we're supposed to be having on a daily basis, or I think Paul would have let out every letter this way. I, Paul, who was caught up to the third heaven and had this amazing experience that you all need to try to have, that's not what he says, is it? Is that what Jesus said? Did he say, if any man would come after me, he needs to follow me up to the third heaven? He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross every day and follow me. That's the kind of experience I think that Paul would, would really want us to lean into. And I think that's why there's only one place in Scripture where he talks about this amazing thing that happened to him, even though it is amazing. And we can add in all sorts of things that are going on now in the evangelical world. <clears throat> Excessive theological abuses, scandals, prosperity teaching. And it's spreading in wildfire in the poorest places in the world because the ministry to the poorest places in the world is not you need Jesus Christ and everything you need is, is found in Jesus Christ. It is this, come to church, plant a seed with some money, and you're going to get rich. Well, that plays really well where everybody's poor. And we're exporting the worst aspects of Western evangelical Christianity to the poorest places in the world that were already more spiritual than we are. We're poisoning them with this terrible theology. And sometimes I feel pressure as a leader that Paul may, I don't know, I'm going to say he felt this way, but here, here as he's defending himself and he hates to do it, I kind of feel this awkwardness in his spirit. Like, I feel that way sometimes too. Like, Chad, are you charismatic enough as a leader? Are you preaching hard enough? Are you dynamic enough to make everybody want to come to church? And I certainly don't feel that way. I wish, I wish that I had more natural draw and all those sorts of things. And I'll, and I'll feel myself, oh, you should be more like this. You, you should talk more like a holy roller or something like that. But that's not who I am. I'm going to tell you this. There's a lot of ways that people are judged as to whether they are filled in the Spirit. 
right? But do you know what the Bible says being filled in the Spirit is? The Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Let me tell you what it is. The fruit of the Spirit is being rich. The fruit of the Spirit is leading wild worship services. The fruit of the Spirit is never getting sick. The fruit of the Spirit is babbling incoherently. The fruit of the Spirit is falling on the ground and shaking. The fruit of the Spirit is getting emotional when you're singing. The fruit of the Spirit is telling everybody how victorious you are. Okay, no, it's none of that. <laughs> Paul says, here's the experience of following Jesus Christ and being filled in the Spirit in a way that produces fruit. When you know God on the inside, here's what he produces on the outside. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now that is not going to guarantee that you're ever going to get caught up into third heaven because probably that was something reserved for the apostle who was going to write all this scripture but I'll tell you, if you've got those fruits in the Spirit, it's not a sign of you going to heaven, but it's a sign of heaven in you. In this awkward defense of his ministry, Paul's saying, I hate to tell you, you know, I don't want to tout myself here, but yes, I've been to heaven. I've had this vision. And yet his ministry still is what it is. It's a ministry, even though here's one who's been to heaven, it's a ministry that bores the Corinthians. It's a ministry that seems basic. It's a ministry that seems hard. It's a ministry that doesn't seem like it's going to make anybody rich or prosperous. It's a ministry that looks a lot like taking up your cross every day and following Jesus. But this is the Christianity endorsed by heaven. If the world is applauding your church, you're probably doing church wrong. If the world is applauding you, you're probably doing your faith wrong. But the, the Christianity endorsed by heaven, the one delivered to us once for all, by the Holy Spirit through the apostles, it is the kind of faith that, that offers us, really, an experience with God as we depend daily on His grace in our weakness, not just through mountaintop experiences, as Paul will ultimately conclude here. Paul's refrain, look at verses 5 and 6. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it. I don't talk about this. I don't brag about this. Why did Paul not brag about this trip to heaven? He says, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Paul wanted what he was in front of those people to be the thing that showed them that he was following Christ. Not that he could talk about having this experience or that experience. And goodness knows he's had many experiences that would put many Christians to shame. He doesn't want to be judged by his accolades. The privilege that he had of being encouraged in paradise. Notice how Paul wants to be judged by what people see in him and what they hear from him. How do I know you're a Christian? Because you just had this experience one time? No. I know you're a Christian because right now I see and hear from you those things that are consistent with the life of a believer. That's what we're looking for when we hand out the elements and do the Lord's Supper. That's what we're looking for. To say to one another, I still see the fruit of your, your initial profession of faith in Jesus Christ evidenced in your life. Let's share this meal together as we are still depending upon Jesus Christ for our salvation. I was talking last week about some famous people that we knew 
back in the day, so I guess maybe that's on my mind. I thought of this illustration. Uh, I, we ha I've had some really weird experiences, and I'll tell you one that was one of the weirdest experiences. We're backstage, so where they used to film Hee Haw, and, and then they filmed that at the same place where the Grand Old Opry building is, okay? So where they used to film Hee Haw and Gary Chapman's show, y'all remember that on the Gary Chapman show on the Nashville Network? Some of y'all do, some of y'all don't, okay. <clears throat> we were big fans. Uh, so there's a backstage at the Hee Haw area. Y'all all remember Hee Haw, though, I know that. <laughs> there's a, the Hee Haw area, and then there's backstage at the Opry, but there's like this hallway that connects the two. And one day my friend David and I we were walking back there behind the Hee Haw area, to go over to the Opry, and we turned this corner, I'm not kidding you, and there was Garth Brooks just standing there by himself. And that's just weird, okay? So we, there was their day, we walk around the corner, and there's Garth Brooks, and we saw Garth Brooks, and we just started laughing. Okay, probably because of the, the whole Chris Gaines thing. Uh, some of y'all don't remember that. Does anybody remember that, Chris Gaines? Okay, yeah, si whatever, silly stuff, all right? That was Summer's favorite record, but... Uh, <laughs> So that Garth took on an alter ego called Chris Gaines, and it didn't go well. Uh, so there was Garth Brooks. So my friend David walks over and says, because it was, it was so funny to see Garth Brooks. And uh, he said, Garth Brooks, put her there. And, uh, <laughs> and we, we always had this funny way of shaking hands with people. So, I, so do this. We, come stand over here. So we, whenever we would shake hands with people, grab my elbow. And we would, sh we would squat down and shake like that. And we did that to Garth Brooks. It was like this joke. Uh, and I don't know what we were expecting, how we were expecting Garth Brooks to respond just because we thought it was so funny to see Garth Brooks. And uh, I'll tell you, immediately after we shook his hands and he said, what, what's y'all's names? Where are y'all from? That guy was as nice to us as anybody I've ever, <laughs> I've ever met in my life. And we met a lot of famous people, even like Christian comedians who will remain nameless, who whenever we met them, they were so rude to us. They were not kind to us at all. These are like Christian people. And yet here was Garth Brooks, arguably one of the biggest stars on the planet, and he was as down home and friendly. And do you remember this, just how me telling you how, how we were so amazed at the kindness of Garth Brooks. And so have we all heard lots of things about Garth Brooks? Surely. Were we disappointed when he tried to be Chris Gaines? Yes. When you watch Garth Brooks's uh, documentaries, does he seem insufferable? Yes. And yet, when I met the guy right in front of my face, he was just golden. And I kind of thought of that when, when I thought about Paul. He's like, I want to be judged by who I am right here, right now. Can we say the same thing? When people meet us, are we counting on them knowing our reputation? Are we counting on them being impressed? Because Garth Brooks could have said, these guys need to be impressed by me. They don't need to be fooling around and, and kind of mocking me when they shake my hand. But he thought it was funny. And then he proceeded just to you know, talk with us about where we come from in our life and all those sorts of things, mutual friends we knew. And so that was, that was a good illustration of that. That's how we need to be when we meet people. Not to depend upon them knowing who we are. Do you know who I am? That kind of thing. No. We need to be known, like Paul says here, for who we are and what people see in us and what people hear from us. I know that's a silly illustration. But Paul's saying, don't judge me on my reputation for having gone to heaven or even being an apostle. But what can you truly observe about my life? And what we would see if we met the Apostle Paul, I imagine, is a person 
who was carried along in his weakness as he daily depended upon God's grace. And then finally, Paul's thorn. Look at verse 7. This is a very interesting passage. People have wondered about this for many years. So to keep me from being conceited, this is how we know he's talking about himself going to heaven. He says, for me, for, to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. So it's a thorn in the flesh. And look how it's described in the next phrase. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Now, trust me, Satan is not worried about Paul becoming conceited. This is given to him by God. He's using Satan to give this thorn to Paul, but the purpose of God allowing Satan to bring this thorn into Paul's life is to keep him from being conceited. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So the super apostles must have said something. Well, you know, Paul's got the earache. He's got the, the weeping eye, the infected eye. His migraine headaches, his kidney stones, gallstones, sciatica, whatever, gout, whatever it could have been. We don't know. An addiction. We don't know. But it was something about Paul that made him seem less than desirable to the people. And the super apostles, these false teachers, were pointing it out. It was from Satan, but it was something God allowed. It was something God was using. Paul says, take it away. And the Lord says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And then look at verse, the second half of verse 9. Paul says, therefore I will gladly boast in my weakness so the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I'm weak, I'm strong. You see, God carries us as we, in our weakness, depend upon his grace, not just through these mountaintop spiritual experiences. What's the application here? If you're a non-believer, the application, I hope you experience a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I hope you're hearing the gospel clearly, that you know the only path to forgiveness for your sins is to trust in the grace of Christ, his perfect life, sacrificial death, his resurrection, and not just in some over-the-top. God made us not give you some over-the-top experience. But don't trust in your experiences. Don't trust in your behavior. Trust in the person of Jesus Christ. Then you will have that experience daily in your weakness as you trust in His grace and in His strength. You will have that experience of knowing that you know God. And for the believers, sometimes we say, if, I just, if it was just this way, if it was just this way, if it was just that way, then things would be perfect. If I could just get done with this, if I could just get this person out of my life, if I could just do this, da, 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 da. Realize those thorns, that sickness that won't go away, that, that, that persistent uh, thorn in your side at work that never gets fired, <laughs> whatever it is, Realize that the, the thing you think that's holding you back might be the very thing that God is using to show you the power and presence of Christ in your life. The power of God is going to come through those things that make you weak, not those things that make you strong. That way you'll let Christ be your strength. 
And then from time to time, you will be blessed with experiences so sweet that you feel like you can't even explain them, that you can't even talk about them. And they will be encouragements to you, things you can look back on. But the wonderful thing about our faith is it's not rooted in experience. It's rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. And that is the person that we take up our cross for every day, that we deny ourselves and we go after him. And we trust that he will carry us. He will carry the real you, the weak you, the you that's not on the mountaintop, but the weak you that's in the valley. Christ will carry you as you daily depend upon his grace that comes to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ.